Australia set to play their final tests until next summer. So how will they go in the New Zealand conditions? Michael Clark and Ross Taylor join us to preview the series. Should Steve Smith be on the flight to the Caribbean? We ask his World Cup winning captain, Aaron Finch. Plus, India clinched the series against England. So where to from here for baseball? Let's go around the wicket. Hello and welcome to Around the Wicket. I'm Nerily Meadows. Aaron Finch alongside me. News in today is that Australia has named an unchanged 11 for that first test against New Zealand. New Zealand, on the other hand, they'll be without Devon Conway, the thumb injury keeping him out of at least the first test. But before we get on to the test, the T20s have wrapped up against New Zealand. Steve Smith is the big question mark. You didn't have him in your original 11 when you yep. were forecasting the World Cup. Is he even in your squad now? Well, it's a really difficult question, and I think the longer it goes with Steve opening the batting, it probably makes it more unlikely, I think, because there's so many options that Australia can go with through that middle order. So I think on the back of his big bash form last year in particular, where he was unstoppable, he got the opportunity at the top. I just think that there's not going to be a spot there at the top of the order, and I think some of the guys have, have probably got a little bit more skill set in terms of being able to bowl. You think of Matt Short uh, through the middle overs as well with his, with his bowling. He can bowl. Uh, in the power play at different times as well. So I think he might struggle, but I, I would love to see him there, but it, it looks a little bit far away from, for now. Doesn't help his cause that he'll be in the commentary box with you for the IPO and not out there proving his yeah. worth in the T20 format. Um, the three quicks, are they under any pressure to be first picked for the Royal Cup, especially considering that it's not looking like Pat Cummins will be the captain, it will be Mitch Marsh is what we're thinking? I don't think they're under pressure to be first picked. I think the only decision that will need to be made is whether the wickets are going to be really slow and, and turn quite a bit because then the option to play the extra spin. I know Maxwell's already there and does a fantastic job as a second spinner to Adam Zampa. So then it'll come down to a, dis a decision on the conditions, whether they feel as though Nathan Ellis with his slower balls, um, if he makes a squad, will be more likely to succeed in those conditions than um, what the other three bring to the table. But, I mean, it's, it'll be a really difficult call to leave one of them out. They've, they've been unbelievable in all formats of the game for a long time now. And they have been picked for that first test against New Zealand, so they continue right throughout this summer, which is a great sign. And also they'll get a lot of IPL. All three of them are playing IPL for the first time for a long time with Mitchell Stark coming back in. So the fact that he'll have a really long run in of T20 games as well uh, to, I guess, upskill slightly, but also get back into the groove of T20 cricket on the back of this test series will be really important as well. Just to round out this T20 series, because of course it is a T20 World Cup year, how about the role of Tim David? He scored more than 1,000 runs now in T20 internationals, a strike rate of 163.6. Has he become one of the most important players in this team? He certainly is very close to it. I think if you add Maxwell into that conversation, then he's as valuable as anybody in the world. But the role that Tim David plays at that number 6-7 role where you're expected to come out and hit boundaries from ball one. It's an incredible skill, and that's why he's so sought after around the world to play in various competitions. And you think back to when he was first asked to play for Australia, and he knocked it back. He, he went and decided to play 14 games of the PSL instead because he thought that that would be more beneficial for his career uh, down the track than than playing for Australia. And, and at the time, it was it was a bit mind-blowing, but I think the, the proof's in the pudding. He's, he's been well and truly rewarded. I think having the opportunity to constantly play in subcontinent conditions and the expectation of being an international player is so difficult on players, who, particularly who do that role, uh, that walk in and hit sixes from ball one 
sometimes he got Australia over the line in another close one. It's, it's really impressive. Let's not gloss over that story. You were captain at the time and he actually said, I don't want to make my international debut for Australia mm. because I'd prefer... Like, tell, talk me through. What happens in that conversation? Justin Langer, the coach at the time. Justin Langer was the coach. Tim called me and, and said, thanks for picking me, but I've decided that I'm going to go to Pakistan and play in the PSL. The opportunity that he was getting in the big bash was quite limited. His impact was huge, but he wasn't getting a huge amount of batting time. So the, there was a chance for him to go and bat at number four in the PSL and, and I guess hone his craft a little bit more, I think, in, in um, batting in that middle order where there's a lot of expectation. And he, he just said, I think long-term this will be better for my development and, and better off all around. And, and to his credit, he's well and truly done that. For, for me, it was never going to be held against him at the selection table because I think it's, it's so important that you, you understand where guys are coming from. JL uh, feel the same way? Uh, I think so in the end. I mean, he, he ended up uh, playing not too long after that. But for me, I, I said I don't agree with the decision, but I understand it from, from your point of view. And, yeah, he's, he's been unbelievable for 39 games now. Brilliant story. Uh, also striking at 201 this year alone in those Incredible. six T20 internationals. Really phenomenal, only out once. The women are also playing a T20 World Cup this year. I just wanted to touch on the fact that they've named their squad for three ODIs and three T20s in Bangladesh for next month. Jess Johannesson, at 31 years of age, has been left out. It's the first time since she uh, since 2012 that JJ has been... A fit JJ has been left mm. out of an Australian side. And, of course, she also missed out on the 11 against South Africa. Sophie Molyneux came in instead in that test match. Where do you think her career sits at the moment? Well, it's a really difficult question. She's been a great player for such a long time and, and so integral to Australia's success in the female game. But I think now you just look at the youngsters coming through, Annabelle Sutherland playing in that middle-order role, Phoebe Litchfield at the top, and then Ash Gardner's bowling has come on probably more than everyone expected. She said it herself in her awards acceptance speech that that she loves bowling and, and she's her numbers are unbelievable. So I think it's probably just an embarrassment of riches that Australia have got from all-rounders um, who can bat in the middle order, bat at the top of the order as well. So really unfortunate, but yeah, when you mention those, those names, there's some pretty special players amongst them. She's had an incredible career if we have seen the last of her, but let's hope not because she's a very resilient woman as well, a wonderful character. Don't go anywhere and around the wicket because Michael Clark joins us after this short break. We're going to hone in on that two-test series. Two World Test champions are about to go head-to-head. Australia touring New Zealand in a two-test series. To talk more about it, Michael Clark joins us now. And I've put the pressure on both Pup and Finchie to come up with their three defining things that are going to basically decide this test series, a rare test series between Australia and New Zealand. Pup, great to have your company. Uh, kick us off. You're going Thanks, with guys. the pitches first. Tell me why. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me again, team. Um, oh, look, I think the pitches uh, for both Test Match are very important if New Zealand want to uh, challenge Australia, to be honest. I, I think the defining factor between both teams is their frontline spinner. Uh, I think Nathan Lyon's been a standout all around the world over a long period of time now, and I think he separates the two teams clearly. Um, so for me, New Zealand have to take Nathan Lyon out of the game, and I think the best way to do that is to leave some grass on the wicket, hope there's a bit of pace, a bit of bounce, and certainly some sideways movement. Now, the risk with that is you lose the toss and Australia send you in, and you've got to face a pretty good fast bowling attack with what the Aussies have as well in Stark, <laughs> Hazelwood, Cummins, and Green 
But I think they have to take that risk, New Zealand. I really do. I think they can – their top order is pretty strong with the bat. Um, and then I think their fast bowling attack, if they happen to bowl first in uh, seeming conditions, they could do some damage to Australia's top order as well. So I think it's risk versus reward. But like I say, I think they've got to take Nathan Lyon out of the game as much as possible. And Fitchy, you agree that Nath is a really important cog in this series. Well, he's huge because he allows the other bowlers to just rotate and, and bowl longer spells. And, you know, if you if you get stuck down the one end to come and Stark or Hazelwood for long enough, one will have your name on it. So the, the way that Australia have used Nathan Lyon for a long time, starting back with Papa's skipper, is you can lock him in from one end. He doesn't The scoreboard doesn't move. When, when he's bowling, yes, he's still attacking, but it just allows you to function your bowling attack exactly how it's meant to work. Your second point, Pup, is how these two batting orders are going to go against that moving ball, which is always a fun one to watch, particularly with the Aussies. Uh, it's always fun when you sit in the air-conditioned box or on your couch at home <laughs> and you watch from a distance. It's never fun as a batsman. Um, and as Finch, you would know, certainly a top-order batsman. Even me, I used to sneak in at number five, so hopefully the boys would get a bit of shine off first and then I'd try and nick one. But, um, yeah, it's not enjoyable. Seeing grass on the wicket um, can play with your mind as well. And up against two good fast bowling attacks. So there's going to be swing, there's going to be seam, seam if they leave grass on the pitch. The other thing about New Zealand, though, is I think the overhead conditions play a part. It's not just about looking down at the pitch. Sometimes it can look quite green, but if the sun's out, the pitches are quite slow. So it can actually play better than you think. If it's green on the surface and it's overhead conditions, that's when it can be really tough for batting over in New Zealand. So I think top order batting, important, shot selection, leaving the ball well, and then good, still good intent if the ball's in your zone just to make sure you're in a position to be able to score, keep that scoreboard ticking over. So, yeah, if they leave grass on the wicket, it's going to be challenging, but I look forward to seeing it. Which leads us right into your second point, and that is Australia's top order, which we don't know yet. Obviously, Kawaja and Labashain have been there for a while, but with Steve Smith moving up, there's an unknown quantity. Yeah, there is. And I think with Labashain, he hasn't had the output of recent times at number three as, as what we've probably expected. So I think if you look at Australia's Cameron Green, still unsure, batting at number four in test cricket, Travis Head, high-risk player, Mitchell Marsh, high-risk player, Alex Carey, <laughs> high-risk player. So if... if they knock over the top order and you get a high-risk middle order against a moving ball, it can be carnage for Australia. So that, that's why I think the top three, there is mm. such an emphasis on on how, not just how many runs they get, but how long they bat, how long they can deny the New Zealand mm. attack and get, like Pub said, batting number five. If, if you get in there and the wicket's a little bit slower and the ball's older and not moving, that Australian middle order can do some serious damage. But if it's still zinging around, it could be trouble. I love that you say high risk. I say highly entertaining. Oh, but once again, I'm watching it. You guys have been out there playing it. But your final point is New Zealand's catching. Uh, yeah, I guess through the T20s, a side of New Zealand cricket I haven't seen for a long time. I thought their fielding was poor. Um, catching, I think they dropped seven or eight catches in the T20 series. And I'm not used to seeing that with New Zealand. So I think their fielding, well, fielding against the best teams in the world is so important. You don't want to give the best batsman a second chance. But if New Zealand field the way they did throughout that T20 series, it doesn't matter how well you bowl, how green the wickets are, 
they'll not beat Australia. So I'm looking forward to seeing them be really disciplined in the field like they have done for a long period of time. And if they get half a chance, they have to hang on to it because we know Australia will. Australia's fielding has been exceptional for a long time. You know, I think of someone like Cameron Green who was coming and fields in such a tough position, that gully area. He's got unbelievable set of hands. So I think the standard will be set and will continue for Australia. New Zealand need to up their standard from the T20s. And finally, Finchie, you've got one matchup that you're really looking forward to. Oh, Kane Williamson. He's obviously the key for New Zealand. He's in such prolific form. But Mitchell Stark, he's somebody mm. who has troubled him in the past. And I think the fact that now Mitchell Stark is not just trying to bowl big, booming in-swingers, ball after ball, he's also got that ball that goes across. So I think that that can play a key role in the matchup with Williamson. We know how disciplined he is. We know how well he leaves the ball. We know how late he plays. But Mitchell Stark, with that ball going across him as well, that could start to cause him a few problems. Does he play? Does he leave? Particularly with the one that can swing back down the line as well. This, the, uh, this is between them, the matchup. So 83 runs dismissed four times, an average of 20.75. And not many people have troubled Kane Williamson, by the way. Pat Cummins has never got him out at, at test level. They haven't played a lot at test level against each other. Um, but also Stark and Cummins have never actually played a test in New Zealand, which just goes to show how rare it is. And I wish we had your facial expression just then because you were quite shocked by that. Yeah. Test predictions, though, for this series, Pup, what do you think? I think Australia will win both test matches. Uh, I think New Zealand, again, if they produce the right conditions, uh, I think they'll certainly compete and it'll be a really tight series. But I think Australia will just find a way to get over the line. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Steve Smith goes at the top of the order against the moving ball. Uh, and then Marnus Labuschagne. I think he would, he would have been doing a lot of work not being a part of the most recent T20s um, on a couple of technical issues that he had through the Australian summer. So look for our most experienced batters, Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, to really stand up. And then again, like you guys just mentioned, we have to find a way to get Kane Williamson out. I think he's the one that can bat for long periods of time. The last 12 months for him has been phenomenal. But if Australia can manage to find a way to get him out, I think they win the series. And a reminder that when in the context of the World Test Championship, this is super important because Australia did drop that test yep. to the West Indies, so they can't afford to drop any more mm. with so such a big gap in between. What do you think, quickly, Finchy? I agree too, Neil. I think Australia, probably their, their all-round bowling attack is world-class. They've been unbelievable for such a long time. If, even if somebody goes down, there's still Cameron Green, Mitchell Marsh to be able to bowl as well. Who I think Mitchell Marsh will play a big, big role in the series with the ball. Uh, just that little bit less pace and mm. it makes you feel like you have to play it. But 2-0 for Australia. Moving over to the subcontinent and Basball, Brendan McCullum as coach, Ben Stokes as captain. They've lost their first test series to India. One test still to go. But, Pup, what does it mean for the future of Basball, do you think? And I did note after your comments on Joe Root last week, 122 not out, came off at 274 balls, a strike rate of 44.5. Not the most Basball knock of all time. Well, I think that's the key. I, I'd like to hope because, again, I think I've made it clear that it doesn't matter what format, I enjoy positive cricket, aggressive cricket as much as anyone. If that's with the bat, then you're looking to score. With the ball, you're trying to take wickets. So I, I, I'm all for that. I'm all for if they want to call it Baz ball, call it whatever you want to call it. But I think what England need to do is you've got to pick your time. There hasn't been a team in, the, in world cricket that has been able to play one way the entire time and have success all around the world. 
It's like a batsman. I wish I could hit every ball for four, but I couldn't. Shot selection is so important. Sometimes taking a bit longer to get used to the wicket. Sometimes, you know, having a different stance, having a different prelim movement based on the bowler you're facing. The things in the game make you adapt and change as a player. And I think England's batting, you know, if they just scratch out an extra 50 or 60 runs in that last test match, they probably win. Well, they're a lot closer to winning. So I think they can keep talking about the intent that they want to show and if they want to use a reverse sweep or a switch hit or a ramp over the keeper, that's fine. They're different shots to what Sir Donald Bradman played, so be it. But I think the whole aggressive cricket is time and place. You know, I think, look at Gill, how he played in the second innings there. He's as an aggressive batsman as there is in cricket at the moment. He smacks it in T20. He can smack it in test cricket. He batted for a long period of time to get his team over the line. Hit his first boundary, 80 balls into his innings. That's smart test cricket. That's smart batting. So hopefully for England's sake, they can. They can learn from this. Instead of thinking everyone's learning from them, they can be learning as well and then adapt. They might get back to England in their next series and it'd be beautiful for them to bat on and they can do whatever they like. But right now in India... I hope they've learned a lot from the first couple of test matches. That was a wonderful little clip on the way out there, Pop. Finchie, just to round all this out, just while I wanted to give him some credit because his series, 655 runs at, a, at an average of 94, strike rate of 78.6, high score of 214, 23 sixes. By the way, Pop only had... Uh, 39 sixes across his 115 test match career. This man is a marvel, but <laughs> on the flip side of what the conversation we've just having, is this what happens when you actually get kids who have been brought up through T20 cricket? We can get supercharged test players. Absolutely we can. He's a serious player. I first saw him play in the IPL and he got 100, I think as a 19-year-old, and just took the game on from ball one. But what he's shown, like Pup was just talking about, he's shown some real batting craft as well. There's been times when he's ground out Mm. runs and, he, and he's been prepared to bat for a session with, without going too far and then once he flicks the switch and the, and the game gets on his terms he just unloads and he's got all the shots he <sighs> pace and spin swing seam doesn't matter he, he's got all the all the tools and I mean for such a young kid to have such a prolific series is unbelievable and Ben Duckett is taking credit for every single one of those sixes. But thank you so much for your time. Look forward to chatting to you oh after God. this. Thanks, test. guys. Finchie, you take five because I'm going to be joined by Ross Taylor next. Yeah, obviously it's, it's never an easy time to do something like this. Um, but, yeah, the time has obviously come. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely um, really grateful for... The opportunity um it's been amazing to be a part of obviously the black caps and to be able to represent um the fern and to have the black cap on my head has been some of my prou- proudest moments of my life so yeah never easy time an emotional Neil Wagner there announcing his retirement. He won't play in this first test up against Australia. It is the first time in eight years that the Kiwis are hosting their trans-Tasman rivals in a test match. And joining us to talk more about it is Ross Taylor, who I like has the test theme patterned behind you as well over there in New Zealand, Ross. Great to have you company. Thanks so much for joining us on Around the Wicket. Now, I want to start by asking about the anticipation. As I say, first time in eight years, the first test has been sold out for weeks. Can you just give us a sense of the flavour that's going on right now? 
Yeah, I mean, anytime Big Brother comes over, um, as you said, it's been eight years. It was sold out before Christmas. Um, you know, New Zealanders still love their Test cricket, um, but we don't get often, uh, obviously, have you over here. So um, the last time you were here, McCallum got, uh, a, I guess, a good send-off, not a, a winning send-off, but a fastest Test 100, and I'm sure there'll be some fireworks uh, come these next two Test matches. One of the really fun things about this match-up is the fact that we've got two quicks who are captaining. You don't get that very often. Pat Cummins on one side. We've seen how successful he has been across all forms as captain. And then Tim Southey. Is there a little bit of pressure on Southey, do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, he only got two wickets uh, in the last series against South Africa, uh, a depleted South African side. Uh, and as you said, yeah, two Fast bowling captains, uh, one at this both early on in their captaincy careers, but um, you know one towards the end of it, his playing career, and one um, being a world class bowler for for a number of number of years. Um, you know, Saudi knows these conditions very well. Uh, he he won't have his um, you know bounce bowler and Neil Wagner beside him to to turn to when he needs uh, you know a few overs in those flat conditions. But um, you know, New Zealand, I'm really interested to see how green these wickets will be because. Uh, traditionally, we um, the base and reserve and Hagley Oval are the the bounciest and the greenest wickets we produce. But uh, you know we know what a formidable bowling lineup this Australia is, and it'll be interesting whether the groundsmen uh, don't turn on the the hose as much, just uh, knowing what Hazelwood, Stark, and, and Cummings and Co can do. It is a fascinating point. What do you think they should do? Oh, as a batter, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I still think it's it's New Zealand's best chance to to be successful is to have a green wicket and take 20 wickets. Uh, probably not what Nathan Lyons fans will be wanting, uh, a green steamer. But the other thing that we know about these two wickets is you can still score on them. Uh, I think your margin for error is a fast bowler in those first couple of days if it is green. Um, you know, it's small and you can score. But I think if there's anything that a, a true test match... Uh, fan would want is not for it to be green for half a day. I think we probably want it green for, for two days and that sort of negates the, the toss. Uh, you know, if it only if it's only green for you know half a day, then um, obviously it becomes a more emphasis on that toss. Speaking of batters, Kane Williamson, we know he's coming in with stunning form up against South Africa, but it was against that undermanned South Africa. How's he going to go against Australia? And is this the true test, do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, his stats have been phenomenal in the last 18 months. Uh, 12 times going past 50 and scoring 1,100s in that time. Um, just become a father over the last couple of days, so mm -hmm. it'll be interesting how his sleeping patterns are. <laughs> um, but, no, he, you know, I think any time a Kiwi, especially a great like him, has the opportunity against Australia. Um, but just like any time you play Australia, this team will be looking at, um, you know, getting on top of New Zealand's best batsman and, and Kane Williamson is that. Um, so I think it's going to be a true test of, of where he's at. Um, obviously in good form, got good confidence going through. But, um, yeah, I think the way he plays over the, the next two tests will go a long way to seeing where New Zealand's uh, fortunes lie. And congratulations to the Williamsons as well, of course. From one great to another, Steve Smith, he's opening the batting for Australia, a new role. He'll be a little relieved that there's no Neil Wagner, I imagine, because he's got him five times, an average of 16 in test cricket. But what is the legacy of Neil Wagner? Yeah, I mean, that would have been... I was looking forward to that battle. Um, <laughs> played in a few of those matches and, um, you know, Steve Smith didn't look like he was troubled by many players, but um, many bowlers on that tour, but... Wag, Waggy, Waggy had his had his number for it, but 
Um, yeah, I think we, we, in terms of Neil Wagner, the legacy that he leaves the team is um, just being able to bowl in those tough periods. Um, I think he set the tone with the our fast bowlers, uh, the youngsters that came in. Um, you know, you're never 100% fit, but every time he he went out there, play, played with, heart, with his heart in the sleeve, um, and the bowling unit and the batting unit um, loved him for it. I think he's a very popular team member. And, yeah, I think he's he's going to be sorely missed, um, not only on the field, but off it as well. Before I let you go, Ross, I need a quick prediction. Two tests, New Zealand hosting Australia. How's it going to go? Oh, um, I think it's going to be – I think it's definitely going to be one nil to Australia. I think if, if we can win the toss and, and put this Australian team under pressure and take our catches, it uh, could be 1-1. One, one. But uh, for, for the Kiwi fans – uh, I hope I'm wrong, but 1-0 uh, to Australia. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Ross Taylor. Great to have you a part of the Around the Wicket team. All the best in these two test series. You'll be joining us right throughout. Don't go anywhere. This is Around the Wicket, and Aaron Finch is going to be back for the short stuff next. to take on the short stuff and it's a big congratulations to my home state Western Australia. Uh, Adam Voges, is he going to be the coach of Australia one day do you think? I think he will be. I think he'll probably be the next coach after Andrew McDonald whenever that um, tenure finishes. I think his contract's up at the end of the next Ashes series. Um, not sure whether he wants to go on or what will happen there but I think Adam Voges will definitely be front runner for that. He hasn't put a foot wrong. Four domestic titles, one day titles, three in a row, back to back shields. Heap of big bashes. <laughs> very, very impressive. Uh, on that note, Taylor Swift, all the Swifties took up all the flights to get across the country, so the West Aussies had to go on different flights to get to this final. Should Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift even have sent her jet over to pick him up? I don't know why that's a question. I don't know why that is a question. In <laughs> Such a show. salty Victorian, aren't you? Oh, look at him sulking. <laughs> no, they, they, no, she should not have, but you know what? Just get on with it. You're just angry that they still managed to win comprehensively even without being they, able they to get everything. a direct flight. T20 series. I would love to see an all-star game, much like the NBA, with all the T20 stars. And I figure a curtain raiser for the IPL. What do you think? Love the idea. I'd love to see it more competitive than the NBA all-star game, though, <laughs> uh, which, which is turning into a bit of a farce at, at the moment. But I, I love the idea of it. I mean, get the best players in the world, have a real showcase of T20 cricket, put it on, like you said, before the, before the IPL. Uh, Lofty Eaton of Namibia up against Nepal has brought up the biggest, or the best, sorry, the quickest T20 international ton, 33 balls. Ever thought you were in for a 33-ball ton? Never 33. I think I was mid-40s maybe for one of mine. Also, the fastest T20 ever ton was 30 balls. Chris Gale, 175 off at 66. You bowled one over that was 29 runs. He snapped his pen in the process. We'll see you next time. <laughs> 